0: your hour of Thrive Time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie, Talk Show. the
1: Jay Mamie Talk Show. Welcome everyone once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I am Jay Mamie and I am thrilled that you are joining us this morning for another hour of Thrive Time. We are rocking and rolling in our second season, and if you are joining us for the first time, thank you for making this a part of your hour of Thrive Time activity, and for those of you returning, once again, let me thank you for your continuing support of this program. It means a lot to me to have you continue to listen to our show and continue to share it as many of you have been doing, which is why our numbers continue to swell. Our audiences continue to grow, and not only locally in the DFW area, but also nationally and internationally, so shout out to all of our friends friends that are listening today from Australia. Thanks for being on the show today. We've got quite a jam-packed program today with content galore. Three amazing people are going to join us today to pour into us what I am th- I'm theming the show today, reassess for success. Sometimes you have to reassess in order to have success, and we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, I want you to know that you can catch all of our archived episodes at the jmameytalkshow.com. You can also hear more about me at the jmamey.com. But if you've not Had a chance to check out some of our prior episodes. Make sure that you do click on that episode link at the JMamieTalkShow.com for all of our prior episodes, which have been incredibly impacting to those that have listened to them. We've got two major events coming up also here that I want to make a quick notice of here while I've got your attention. In the DFW area, coming up on September 14th, my friend and recent guest, Lance Taylor, and his amazing team, the Taylor team, is sponsoring yet another event where they're going to focus on feeding families a Thanksgiving meal the week of Thanksgiving. They're partnering up with Thanksgiving heroes to make sure that they surpass their goal of last year where they fed 500 people. They're going to do 1,000 families this year. And their tournament, it's a golf tournament, it's a charity event, It's going to be held on Tuesday, September 14th at the Canyon Creek Country Club. You can register now for the event at bit.ly forward slash tailor Team dash golf. It's going to be an incredible event. We're going to also post it up on our website. Make sure that you participate in helping feed families this Thanksgiving. And coming up September 24th, I've got an event that is going to be another impacting, thriving event. For those of you that are in business leadership, sales, entrepreneur, business owners, it's going to be our next tour stop for the Thrive Sales Mastery Workshop. It'll be Friday, September 24th in Fort Worth. The announcements have gone out officially. You can catch more of the details uh, of the event. As survive to thrive forward slash events all the details are there we'll have a chance to chat more about that as the weeks proceed but i want to introduce my first guest my first guest is not only called the captain, and by the way, anyone who's called captain, you've got to have a man on the show, right? So Captain Hoff, or better known as Stephen Hoff, is the captain and CEO of Founders Space. It's one of the world's leading startup accelerators. In fact, it was ranked number one incubator for overseas startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. But Steve Hoffman himself is, is quite a dynamo. As a former uh, show producer for Hollywood TV programs, also has been the chairman of the the Producers Guild Silicon Valley chapter. He served on the Board of Governors for New Media Council and was a founding member of the Academy of Television's Interactive Media Group. He's got quite a resume. His work has also been uh, integral in the startups of many, many other companies in Silicon Valley, and he's here with us today to help us understand, as a startup and an entrepreneur, how do you reassess for success? Steve, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be here.
1: You know, I'm not going to call you Steven. I'm going to call you Captain Hoff. Is that okay?
2: Sure. That's my nickname <laughs> in Silicon Valley.
1: <laughs> I know. I love that. And I, I love seeing that on your, on your profile, on your website, and also on LinkedIn. It was great. And anyone who's called captain of anything, they need to be on the show. That's why you're on the show, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's dive right into everything you've got to offer. But before we do that, let's, let's hear a little bit about your journey.
2: So my journey has been a crazy one. Some people like to say I have had more careers than cats have had lives, but I won't go into all that. Let's suffice to say I have done three venture-funded startups, two bootstrap startups, and now I am the head of Founderspace, which is a global startup incubator and accelerator. And what
1: inspired you to start Founderspace?
2: What inspired me was that I did all these startups, I raised a lot of capital, and all my friends started to come to me and say, Captain, Captain, help me get funded. How do I do a business plan? How do I do marketing? How do I launch my product? Mm -hmm. So I got into it helping my friends.
1: You know, one of the great things about that is having the ability to know who to go to when help is needed. And the fact that people, not only early on initially, but continually have uh, sought you out for that advice, it's an indication that there's brilliance in what you are providing them. And that's how you and I met. Again, you were also introduced to me by one of our prior guests as as someone who's an actual subject matter in this in this field. And by the way, Captain, our theme of the show today is reassess for success. And I want to spend some time. I'm talking about that because as a startup, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you have to reassess the things that you're doing in order to, to maintain the success momentum or to get traction and success. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that. But your mission is to educate and accelerate entrepreneurs. You say that's your mission. Can you dive a little further into this mission?
2: My mission has been to help entrepreneurs globally. Mm-hmm. So right now, I work in 22 countries. Mm. We have partners all over the world, and we have incubators in different countries. And I both coach entrepreneurs personally, because I work with a lot of them, and they they come into our incubators, and I also fund them. I'm a venture capitalist. So I get them capital, we have our own capital, but we also have access to hundreds of venture capitalists where we give them capital. And most importantly, we give them guidance. Mm. So a lot of entrepreneurs, it's their first time, they're launching their business uh, they don't know what they don't know mm-hmm. but we often know it because we've worked with hundreds of companies and seen where they make mistakes when they have to redo their business plan and start over and what leads to success
1: you know, th- this show uh, captain is all about thriving and I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit because I know that today there are a lot of brand new entrepreneurs brand new startups that are in the initial phases of, of launching uh, and you've been around you've seen these these organizations you invest in them what would you what, what have you observed actually is the common denominator of mistakes that failed startups all share
2: almost every failed startup I have encountered mm-hmm. has done one thing wrong and it's very simple but people don't realize it they have stuck with the same idea too long mm. so you said earlier Reassess for success. A lot of times, an entrepreneur will come up with an idea. They'll invest a lot of time, a lot of their own money, and their reputation in the idea. And they make the critical mistake of assuming that if the idea is wrong, if the idea fails, they have failed. Mm. That's not true. You only fail if you stick with a failing idea. Mm. But often, it's extremely hard to jettison that idea and do what we call a pivot to something new. But successful entrepreneurs in their career, they almost invariably have to pivot many times.
1: Yeah, one of the things I've experienced in in working and speaking and dealing with entrepreneurs is exactly what you just said. Sometimes they don't know when the Titanic is on its way down. (laughs) They actually think it's going to make it. And they stay on, they fail to reassess, and and they go down with the ship. So I'm glad you pointed that out. In in our last couple of minutes of this segment, let's flip it a little bit. Let's pivot, as you said. What would you say then are some of the successful traits that prospering startups develop along the way?
2: I'll tell you. There are a couple things that entrepreneurs do right. Mm Mm-hmm. First of all, what they do is they actually don't worry about their idea because your idea doesn't matter. Your idea is just in your head, especially at the beginning. There's no proof in the real world until you go out into the real world with your idea and begin testing it out on potential customers. So I like to tell entrepreneurs, if you want to succeed, don't lock in on an idea. Take a direction you want to go, an area you're interested in, and then dive in and go out into the world. And your job isn't to prove any idea is right. Your job is actually to hunt for demand. Pent mm. up demand that isn't being met by any competitors out there that people need because markets are always shifting, new technologies emerging. Come identify this demand and then build your product to meet the demand.
1: That's a brilliant answer. And that's a mic drop right there. Hunt for the demand. Is an actually uh, it's it's pure brilliance because I think most of these innovators um, the reason why they succeed is because they feel the need uh, they don't look to create the need they fill the need and there's a huge difference in the way you operationally uh, approach it and think about it when you are fulfilling a need instead of creating a need and then trying to fulfill it as well.
2: Hey, I f- would go a step further. Mm-hmm. I would actually say you can never create a need. The needs are out. People need what they need. There you they go. You can't make them need something.
1: That's right. That's right. That's brilliant, my friend. Hey, when we come back after the break, we're going to dive into some heavy duty meat and potatoes content that's going to help that person, that listener who's out there right where we are right now speaking about. We're going to dive into the secret of building a unicorn. I know that you are a master at that. And then we're going to talk about the most important thing a CEO can do to make a company thrive. And we're going to tackle that right after the break. Hey, everyone, this is Jay Mamie from the Jay Mamie Talk Show. I just want you to know that my book, my 10th book, is finally available. Thrivology, action-stoking and thought-provoking quotes and phrases is now available for your purchasing pleasure. This book has already making tidal waves among those who appreciate content that is driven to give you a thrive-minded mentality and also reminders throughout the course of the week of the things you need to do to thrive. Guys, you can pick up my book, Thrivology, at the thejaymamie.com. My recent guest, Lance Taylor and the Taylor Team, is sponsoring the second annual Charity Golf Tournament, and they're partnering up with Thanksgiving heroes to feed families a Thanksgiving meal. This Charity Golf Tournament is happening Tuesday, September 14th at the Canyon Creek Country Club. Make sure you register at bit.ly forward slash taylorteam-golf, bit.ly forward slash taylorteam-golf.
3: Balance
2: of Nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time.
4: Before I started taking Balance of Nature, I was really a huge procrastinator and I would sleep in as much as I possibly could. And since I've started taking it, I've noticed a huge improvement in about every aspect of my life. I've noticed that my hair has been growing longer, my nails are longer than they've ever been, I feel better than I felt since I was in my 20s. I am more productive. I am more motivated now than I have ever been. And I'm older than I've ever been. So I think that that's a huge improvement. I really love balance in nature and I recommend it to all my friends and family.
3: Get a wide variety of all
2: your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code DALLAS.
0: Welcome back to Thrive
1: Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a great conversation with Captain Hobbs. Captain, we left off with a very important question that I think would be uh, on, on the minds of many, certainly mine anyhow. What's the secret to building a unicorn?
2: The secret to building a unicorn is building a company that grows exponentially fast. Mm. That scale, We call it in Silicon Valley scaling. You can scale this business. What does that mean? So for an entrepreneur... A small business, if you own a small business, that's usually not scalable. If you own a consulting business, almost impossible to scale because it requires your time. And your time doesn't scale. It's finite. What scales really well are software businesses. You put a business out on the Internet, that's software, and if one person can use it and you build it for them, millions of people can use it. All you need to do is move it over to a, a, a cloud service like Amazon's, AWS. The key also is a business model, Mm -hmm. and I will tell you, most of the unicorns out there have a single magic business model, and that is what's called recurring revenue. That means whenever they get a new customer, they don't get money from them just once. They don't buy the product just once and leave and never come back. They stick with it, and they keep giving money over and over again. Think about it. Amazon. You don't buy just one product on Amazon. You keep giving Amazon more money every time you come back. Mm-hmm. Google, every time you use that search engine, there are ads. They make money every time you come back. Uber, you get in an Uber, every time you drive, you are paying Uber. All of these companies have this recurring revenue model.
1: That's brilliant. and I, and I, I think that if for most people who are providing a service that's a sort of a one-shot deal, they are shooting themselves in the foot in a major way. So I'm glad you addressed that because I think that's where most entrepreneurs get stuck at. They're not looking at something that becomes a residual source of income or a revisitation of services that they render. Let's talk about the single most important thing that a CEO can do to make a company thrive. And I'm interested in this question, Captain, because there are a number of business leaders who listen to our show, CEOs, high-level executives. And I think that this is one of those areas where there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding, and a lot of delusional uh, thinking. So what would you say then is the most important thing that they can do to help their company thrive?
2: The single most important thing a CEO can do is remember their role. So their role is not to do anybody else's job. Mm. Their role is to do one thing. And if they do this one thing right, they will build a huge, they could build a huge organization. And that is Find the best people in the world and bring them onto your team, literally, because they're going to do all the work. But as CEO, you have to set at Google, the founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin made it their number one priority, recruitment. And they, even when they were hundreds of people and they were hiring like crazy, they were personally interviewing every person that came in the door. They can't do that today because they are way too huge. But still, every single top exec, they interview. Now, why do they do that? Because the quality of the people you bring in will determine where your company goes. And when you are starting a company, if you are starting a new startup, I tell entrepreneurs, don't worry about the idea. Don't worry about building anything. Like, don't build anything. The first thing you should do is spend 80% of your time going out and finding the team you need to execute on whatever vision you have.
1: One of the things one of the, the the things you just said there captain is so critical because essentially a CEO has to stay in his lane and and you find that a lot of CEOs and a lot of business leaders uh, they either don't stay in their lane they try to move over to the left lane or right lane in other words they get involved in other activities they, should, they have no business getting involved in and sometimes they go as far as switching
2: highways <laughs> totally and it is a, it can be a disaster like, a complete disaster. The ceo and also the CEO needs to set priority by focusing on the people. They've set a priority. The people are the most important thing. That's really what makes businesses go. Nothing else actually matters as much as the people. That's right. Now
1: I want to dive back into something we spoke about earlier in the first segment where we talked about uh, you brought to the attention of meeting the need. So I know innovation is key. Let's talk about that for a second. What are some of the industries, based on your observation, your experience, some of the industries where you see innovation as happening the most? And where do you see some of that, some of these future startups coming from?
2: I will tell you, the beauty of the time we're living in right now Mm -hmm. is that technology is literally, new technologies are emerging every day. Every day, there's some new technology sprouting up. Some are huge, world transforming. Others are small, but all of them make a difference. And that means that every industry on the planet needs to innovate. Every industry on the planet has a chance, has potential. Whatever industry you're working in, you have the potential to remake that industry. And I will tell you, a lot of the changes that are going to be happening in the future, first of all, they're happening right now in areas like artificial intelligence. Mm. Literally, artificial intelligence is like electricity. Mm. There is no business in the future that won't use artificial intelligence. Wow. So look at your business. Look at that technology. It makes things smarter. It automates things. These are the drivers of business. This is These are the transformational drivers. Other cool technologies coming down the pipeline, one of them is brain-computer interface. And this will happen. Companies like Facebook and Google and big companies, you know, global companies like Microsoft, they're all starting to look. At how we will connect our brains, our thoughts, directly to the Internet. So we can download and upload information. That technology is being developed today. Other technologies genetics. Think about it. It's building blocks to life, right? We have figured out the source code of, of existence on this planet. We can create new species of plants and animals right now. That technology is available. And it's not even expensive. To buy a gene editing kit costs a couple hundred dollars. Like people could be doing this in their basement if they have the knowledge. Kinda scary. (laughs) But that that is out there and it's going to totally transform this planet and maybe other planets like Mars.
1: You know, I think there's something to be said about the reality of artificial intelligence making its way into every aspect of our life moving forward. And where innovation is happening the most, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That is exactly where it's happening the most. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing that to the table. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about some of your books. I, I Early on, I gave you so many kudos because there's so many uh, aspects to your resume that are, that are fantastic. And I did not mention the books. You've got a number of books, award-winning books, uh, that I've actually posted them on my website already. So people can go to my website and look up your books and purchase them as well. But your latest book, Surviving a Startup, um, I think it couldn't be more appropriate than, than today and considering that we are in almost a post-pandemic, almost I say, uh, post-pandemic era that many people have taken to entrepreneurism, right? I mean, the people now who maybe they, uh, working from home, decided to take on an entrepreneurial uh, project, uh, or, or startup. which uh, your, your surviving a startup book is appropriate for that. And I'm sure it provides the most fundamental advice for someone who is getting, uh, who's starting a new business. Why should they read that book? And who's that book written for?
2: That book is written for anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur or who is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And like you said, We have never had more people becoming entrepreneurs than we have today. That's right. Now, the fact is, though, the majority of those entrepreneurs will fail. That is just statistics. The majority will not succeed. So the question the book asks is, how do you survive and how do you thrive? How do you become the startup that breaks through? What do the smartest entrepreneurs in the world, many of whom I've had the pleasure to work with, what do they do right? And what do the ones who don't quite make it, what do they do wrong?
1: Let me ask one question. In the what do you do wrong, in your book, can you give us, I'm sure there's a number of them, but can you give us one thing that they do wrong and then one thing that they do right as we start to wrap up this segment? Because I'm sure there's those that are very interested in, in both of them.
2: A lot of entrepreneurs falsely believe that money will solve their problem. hmm so they think, wow, if I could just get an investor, if I could just raise enough capital, this company will go. But the the answer, the, the, the answer almost always is money will not solve your problem. Mm. If you have a business that works, it is going to work. You will figure out a way to make it work. And if it doesn't work, a lot of times getting too much money too early allows you to mask the problem, pretend it doesn't work, go out and advertise, bring in customers when it, the product isn't really working and those customers just come and eventually they leave. So I tell entrepreneurs, if you want to build a successful business and you're not Elon Musk you know, or Jeff Bezos and you don't have you know infinite pockets or a huge reputation, don't worry about raising capital. Scale. Pick a business and there are plenty of these that you can start with the money you have mm. and the talent you have, mm. the people you can access. That that those are the businesses that you can do and you can prove successful and then later the money will come. Like the money doesn't come first. Really smart venture capitalists wait until you figure it out. Then they start giving you the money.
1: You know what's you great ask- a- I'm sorry about that. Go ahead, Captain.
2: Go ahead. Uh, so you asked what they do right. So the entrepreneurs that really hit it right mm-hmm. very early on, they engage with their customers. They engage with their customers even before they've built a product. They are literally in deep in the, in the field, like in the trenches, with whomever they're serving. And they don't expect themselves to come up with that brilliant idea. They don't say, oh, I'm going to be the one who has the brilliant, brilliant epiphany that breaks through on this industry. They go to their customers, and they figure out where their customers are having problems, where the pain points are, what they really need, like what are they looking to do that they can't do. And then they look at all the new technologies emerging, and they start to innovate. They say, well, what if we apply this technology to make it easier for them to do that? And that's where businesses break through
1: Well, Captain, I got to tell you something. The advice that you're giving is great because you are a venture capitalist. You are one of these guys that looks for businesses to help fund uh, if they're a valuable startup. So what you've just covered in the last minute should be golden information for anyone who is wondering, how do I raise capital? You're hearing it, guys, from someone who does this uh, and his experience. So take that to the bank. Captain Hoff, we appreciate you being on the show. We're going to actually have you back. Uh, there's no question. There's much more for us to cover. But in our last uh, couple of seconds here, where can people go to learn more about you?
2: They can go to founderspace.com. Just go to Founderspace and you can find out everything about it.
1: Wonderful. Captain, we appreciate you being on the show. We're going to have you back in the future. You always have an open mic with us. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Folks, we're going to be right back after the break.
0: I'm Steven Snyder from the Snyder Benefits Firm. As a business owner, are you experiencing your employee insurance being too complicated and too expensive? Do you wish you could simplify that process? The Snyder Benefits Firm can help educate your employees and tailor the program to fit your budget. You can visit us at www.snyderbenefitsfirm.com or give me a call at 270-823-2187 for a free consultation.
5: How do you want your story to look and sound? Is there a book you want to write? A presentation you want to give? An online space to fill your thoughts and experiences? If you have the beginnings of an idea, I can help you develop it into a finished and publishable product. My name is Keith Mankin, and I'm a writer, editor, and creative consultant. Contact me today at KeithMankin.com and let your voice and your words stand out from the crowd.
0: With the value of the U.S. dollar continuing to slump due to unprecedented money printing, it has never been more important to protect your savings and retirement accounts from inflation. Many hardworking Americans, just like you and I, are turning to a proven method to protect what we work so hard to earn. Real gold. You can have real gold delivered privately and securely to your home or have real gold put into your IRA or 401k. Just call Oxford Gold Group right now, 833-928-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group will teach you everything you want to know about owning real gold. It's a lot easier than you think. Call the Oxford Gold Group now at 833-928-GOLD to get your free precious metals investment guide. Talk to them about getting real gold and silver delivered to your home or about having real gold placed in your IRA or 401k. The Oxford Gold Group is here to help you protect your savings and retirement from the unknown. Call them now, 833-928-GOLD. So, what are you waiting for? 833-928-GOLD. Get your gold you can hold from the Oxford Gold Group. 833-928-GOLD.
1: Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. In the station with me today, I'm excited about our guest, you know, there's someone that stands for accelerating your success and being able to strengthen your brand is our guest, Nita Patel. Not only is she an author, she's a global speaker. She's such a well-known celebrity in the world of helping others not only accelerate their success, but create a brand that is memorable. So she's in studio with us today to share her wisdom. Nita, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me here.
1: Nita, before we unwrap all of the good things you're doing out there, can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I come from a multicultural family. And when I say that, I mean, most of my family has lived in multiple countries. I was born and partially raised in England, and Dallas has been home for me after that. But the world has really been a small place for me because I traveled quite a bit internationally as a child. And and I think that gave me an appreciation for cultures and really taught me to respect everyone. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is the foundation of having that respect for one another and for ourselves, that is the foundation of everything that I do today.
1: That is amazing. Now, you've had a successful corporate career. I know when you and I met, we spoke about that. But what inspired you to leave that fairly predictable and reliable uh, lifestyle to chart your own course?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that we have different purposes throughout Mm -hmm. different parts of our life. And I think this goes for a lot of people. I see this pattern in a lot of my clients is, There's a certain part of your life when you're raising your family and you're being a parent, you're raising your kids, and having that security is really important Mm -hmm. so that you can balance your life, Mm -hmm. right? You can go to orthodontist appointments Mm -hmm. and pick up and drop off uh, during band practice and everything else. And that was my purpose then. And for me, as my son graduated and went to college, I realized now I have more time for myself and it's time for me to step into my next purpose.
1: You know, you just stumped me because you said you have a son that graduated from college.
4: I do. Now, Pat,
1: does she look like anyone who's got a kid graduated from college?
4: You just graduated from college. (laughs) (laughs) Most people think we're siblings. (laughs)
3: That's
1: amazing. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. You don't look that age. Whatever that age is, you don't look it. Uh, But you're right about something that you said earlier. People get uh, comfortable with routine because it's secure, it's stable, it's predictable. And, and sometimes that becomes a crux, right? I mean, Absolutely. that that becomes a challenge because it doesn't allow you to express uh, yourself in a way that allows you to really create something different, right?
4: Yeah, I think that you are managing risk, and mm. it's hard to step out of that.
1: That's a great point. That's a mic drop right there. Managing risk. That's right. So why did you feel that addressing the issues of confidence and self worth was the ideal starting point? Because that's essentially what you do. That's your that's your voice, right?
4: It is. It is. And I think that everything starts with us. It starts mm-hmm. with me. And I can't do anything well in life if I don't feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. right? I can't be a mom. I can't be a good boss. I can't be a good team player. And I can't be creative. Mm-hmm. right? And so it's really difficult to do anything well when you feel crappy about yourself. Um, and so I think that having confidence is a key foundation to being a Great human being to being alive mm-hmm. and to really living your your greatest potential. Why do you think most
1: people? Why well, I shouldn't say most people. Why do you think that a lot of people uh, lack confidence and this sense of self worth to the extent that they don't demand better from others?
4: Um, I think that it's because of the way that a lot of people were raised. Mm-hmm. They weren't fed, and it's also generational. It's because of what was happening in the world at the time. They weren't fed with amazing affirmations that I think maybe parents do today is Mm. you can do anything in the world that you want. You know, Mm -hmm. it was more like money doesn't grow on trees. Mm. Right. 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 So it was a lot of negative affirmation Mm -hmm. versus positive affirmations. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that there was also a lack of, I want to say this loosely, a lack of discipline and etiquette. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, no one really explained why you did the things that you do. And I'll give you a Great example is, you know, sitting up straight. No one taught you as a kid why you need to sit up straight Mm. or um, a power pose. No one explained, they just said sit up straight, you Mm -hmm. know, and it was almost like you wanted to rebel against it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not do it. But as a child, if you were told that this was a tool, that when you sit up straight, you feel better about yourself, it actually changes the physiology of your body. And you feel more confident. It gets rid of that stress hormone when your body's positioned a certain way. These are tools, and we were never taught why. And so I think that that's why most people lack self-confidence. It was really about the upbringing and and the messages that were received, you know, throughout that period.
1: I, I you know, I I agree. It has a lot to do with upbringing um, because if your parents weren't taught it, they're not going to teach you something they weren't practicing themselves. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it all starts there. But I like what you said, power pose. That's a that's a mic drop right there, a power pose. It's funny. I was telling I was recording a video a few days ago, and the videographer says to me, oh, do you want to do a sitting down? I said, absolutely not. Uh-huh. I said, standing up, shoulders back, that's that's a position of authority, right? Yeah. That's power. Isn't that true?
4: Absolutely. And what actually happens in your body when you're in a power pose mm-hmm. is it reduces your cortisol levels decreasing your stress hormone and it boosts your testosterone and that's what allows you to feel good and wow and and people don't know that and and again i think that goes back to what you said earlier it's the why you know why do you do things the way you do them that's
1: great i I didn't realize that there's a physiological release of hormones and chemicals just by standing up straight
4: yeah that's fantastic see that's where
1: you're on the show nita that's where you're on the show (laughs) wisdom like that is what makes you special but i want to chat a little bit about Uh, Your pursuit to help other people create this effective and captivating brand. I mean, you, you get on, uh, on stages in front of thousands of people and, and granted you're about five feet, right? (laughs) Yep. You're about five feet. I got that right. And
4: one inch. And five feet, one inch. Don't forget the one inch, inch. right? (laughs)
1: Uh, And I mean, but you demand the attention of this audience and it's not because of the physical stature of your height. It's your message, right? So I want to talk about that because that's really where what's propelled your career uh, to be one that's memorable and in demand. But you help people create this very effective and captivating brand something that is that is memorable what would you say are the critical elements that you would address that you sh- you have people be uh, mindful of in order to have this this captivating memorable brand
4: so i would say it's very simple it's it's who you are and how you show up Mm-hmm. Now that entails a lot mm-hmm. um, but at the very surface level it's how you dress it's your body language it's how you present yourself on social media you know all things that are very simple to start with when you're developing your brand and um, I'll give you an example you know we talk about Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. when you hear his name most people think of two things he started Facebook and if you identify him in his own brand he's a guy that wears a gray t-shirt and jeans right right? And so that's his brand. Mm. And so people need to if you want to stand out, people need to identify who you are. And it also ties into your values. Mm-hmm. Now, so I look at you and I say, OK, fitness and health is one of your values. Absolutely. Um, uplifting others mm-hmm. as you're doing this show. Mm-hmm. And, and so I would see that as your values. And that's a part of your brand. So I think that's really what your brand is about. It's letting people know and letting the world know your clients know who you are and what you stand for
1: you know what you said about Mark Zuckerberg is dead on because uh, not too long ago you know he was uh, in a Senate hearing mm-hmm. right and they he was on TV and but he had on a suit and the majority of people that I was chatting with at that time didn't know uh, when they didn't flash his name on the screen who he was they thought he looked familiar because he's never in the suit right
4: right he's in a
1: t-shirt and jeans
4: yeah even when he does his keynotes he's exactly t-shirt and jeans jeans.
1: that's his brand right (laughs) it is so it's funny when when you don't have a brand you're in trouble but when you step out of your brand you're in bigger trouble (laughs) (laughs) so I want to chat a little bit about flaws what have been some flaws that that you've observed from people that are still struggling to leave that imprint in a busy and uh, overcrowded space
4: Yeah, so the biggest thing that I've seen is people market themselves as their business. And you have to do both. You have to have your own brand, your name, and then you also have to market your company as its own brand. Mm -hmm. So separating the two is really important. And I think this happens because a lot of times people don't really recognize that their business is a company and Mm -hmm. they don't run it like it's a real company. Mm. Um, and so I think that's where the issue occurs is and that's why they don't stand out because a lot of times, you know, they just mix that up and and so somebody may, let's say for example, somebody may see you and say, Okay, Jay, they don't know anything that you're connected to. They don't know what companies you run. You may Mm -hmm. have 10 companies, Mm -hmm. um, but they just know that one thing about you. Right. But if you've marketed your all of your 10 companies Mm -hmm. as their own brands, and then you as your own brand People would really know the difference.
1: Excellent. Now, I want to chat a little bit about, in our few minutes here, your best-selling book. You've got a book that really put you on the map. It's called Boss Vibes. And I love the title, Boss Vibes. Uh, Let's chat about that. In this book, you focus on something you talked about earlier, etiquette. Right mm-hmm. and how that's sort of like a uh, almost like a a, a passing uh, fad uh, or not even a fad a passing discipline people something that people don't practice anymore. Do you find that the practice of etiquette is in fact fading in, in this modern culture and and certainly in the work environment?
4: Absolutely, I think that people think that they're being authentic and that allows mm. them to feel like they don't need to be professional mm-hmm. or they don't need to practice business etiquette etiquette in the social um you know place. I think it just has gotten very confusing for people Mm -hmm. saying, oh, I'm authentic. And you don't realize that. uh, And and my book is a reminder of that. It's that etiquette is to help you feel good about yourself. And um, it's not about social approval or anything that the traditional term etiquette is about.
1: So let's say you have a listener who is right now Thinking about what you just said, and they say, oh, I'm bi- I never heard of it because it's not something they talk about in the work environment, business mm-hmm. etiquette. What would be the one tip that you would give, let's say, a listener who says, okay, so how do I begin practicing business etiquette? What does it even look like? What would you say to that listener who's asking those questions right now?
4: You know, I would say three things. Mm-hmm. One thing is dress your part. Mm. Um, I think that's very important because you have less than seven seconds to make an impression. That's right. You can't even say a word before people... Make a judgment about Mm -hmm, you. That's right. And um, so I think that would be the number one thing. Okay. Yeah. Number two is be a great listener. That's a huge part in developing your brand um, and practicing etiquette. If you're a good listener, there's so much more that falls behind that Um, and awareness I think awareness is everything.
1: What you said, being a good listener, boy, that's one that we can talk about for hours.
4: Absolutely. Because
1: that, that is something that people don't practice. And our last uh, minute or two here, let's talk about this new exciting course that you're launching. What is this course going to be about?
4: Yeah, so the course name is called Accelerate Success Now, Create a Brand. Mm-hmm. And it's everything you need to do to start creating a brand today. And it's for anyone who wants to stand out. It doesn't matter if you're a corporate professional, a business owner, if you want to stand out, and you have to create a brand.
1: Awesome. I, I don't think there's too many courses like that out there. That's why I see a lot of people with sloppy brands. For, and that's those who have one, right? Mm-hmm. Very yeah, sloppy, yeah. very very unkept, and it lacks etiquette.
4: <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> so where can people go to learn more about you?
4: Um, they can go to my website, nita-patel.com. P A T E L N-I-T-A-P-A-T-E-L.com. They can also go to acceleratesuccessnow.com.
1: Awesome. And we're going to put your information up at our site anyhow. Okay. So people can track you down beautiful nita thanks for being on the show today
4: thank you so much for having me
1: folks we're going to be right back after the break
4: 71 percent
2: of new hires say that the training they received did not make their new role easy to understand and that led them to feeling disconnected at work that's probably because according to the talent equation companies spend more money on coffee than training annually I'm Andy Steer, owner of Impact Training. We specialize in helping your company create meaningful training content based on the nine impact pillars of training. Reach out at impactctc.com and let's find what your company needs to elevate your training program to the next level. I can't make any promises about your coffee, though. Are your selling skills lacking? Could you sell more? If so, then on September 24th in Fort Worth, you need to attend the next tour stop of Jay Mamie's Thrive Sales Mastery Workshop to develop the higher selling skills you need to succeed. This is a free three-hour workshop with a networking lunch thereafter. So if getting better is important to you, then plan on attending. Visit survive to thriveguidecom slash events for more details. That's survive slash events.
5: Hey, it's Amy Shadroff, and if you know me, you know that I hate people and service providers who are late. And that's never going to be a problem with Benjamin Franklin Plumbing because they are the punctual plumbers. That means they will be there when they say they will be there. Guess what? They're going to pay you $5 a minute for every minute they're laid up to a $300 maximum. And right now, they have a $79 drain cleaning special going on, complete with a camera inspection. Do you know one of the main reasons why you have clogged drains inside of your home is because of growing tree roots on the outside? Well, that is Ben Benjamin Franklin Plumbing's specialty. They'll come out to your home and they will take care of the problem. They are experts in their field. So, what are you waiting for? Give them a call today. 866 the number 4 Ben Now. That's 866 the number 4 Ben Now. And Benjamin Franklin Plumbing is looking for exceptional licensed plumbers right now who value punctuality to join their team. So, if that sounds like you, you can also give them a call at 866 the number 4 Ben Now. Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, they are the punctual plumbers.
0: K-L-I-F can be heard on the FM. If you have a newer vehicle, go to KLIF.com slash FM to learn how. This is Real News and Information 570-K-L-I-F. K L I F dot com.
1: Welcome back to Thrive Time with Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Here in the station, visiting us today, is the host and founder of the Family Law Minute, Lisa Marquis, is with us today. And one of the things we talked about early on in the beginning of the show, folks, was you have to reassess for success. In other words, sometimes in order to succeed, you have to take a minute and find out what's not working and figure out how do you make it work. And certainly, if there's challenges at home, that becomes a handicap to your ability to thrive and to be successful in whatever you're pursuing uh, success in. So we're having Lisa today to talk to us about how do we assess success? situations at home so we can thrive and have success. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Jay. Lisa, so before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure. Um, I am a family law attorney, as you know. Um, I've been married for 33 years. Mm-hmm. I have two amazing daughters, All right. one who is 24 and one who's 21. My oldest graduated from UT in 2019 and mm-hmm. works in Columbus, Ohio. And my youngest is a senior at OU, so yes, I do have a house divided. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so you know a little bit more, a little bit about family, because you've got plenty of experience in that.
3: That's true. That's right. So what
1: inspired you to pursue early on in a career in family law?
3: So I started out, ironically enough, as a tax attorney. I worked for a firm out in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. came to Dallas in 1994 as a tax lawyer, and then ended up working with a solo practitioner in Plano who was a general practitioner. So he exposed me to civil, criminal, and family. Okay. And under his tutelage, I discovered that I had an affinity for family law and have been doing it ever since then in 1995.
1: Wow. So you started in something very exciting, tax law. (laughs) (laughs) to something so to the exact opposite spectrum, the thrills of family law and family battles and all sorts of things that can go on in the courtroom with that.
3: I can assure you there's never a dull moment in family (laughs) law, but I will say this, my experience with tax law, which of course I don't give tax advice anymore, Mm -hmm. but it, it makes me not afraid to discuss the numbers and Mm. the finances. And Mm. that's a, that's a big piece of a family law situation.
1: Well, that's incredible. I'm glad you're doing it. Let's talk a little bit about collaborative divorce. That is a sort of a buzz phrase that is getting uh, becoming more and more popular now. Uh, so, a lot of people still don't understand what that is. And I, I believe, not knowing what it is myself, that it is something people should be more attentive to and understand it better. What is collaborative divorce?
3: So let's distinguish the term collaborative divorce from doing things in a collaborative manner, Mm. because a collaborative divorce is a specific way of handling a divorce that's sanctioned under the family code that involves certain protocols and procedures that have to be followed. Both parties have attorneys. Sometimes we bring in other neutrals to assist if there's parenting issues or financial issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And that needs to be distinguished from, hey, I just want to have an amicable divorce, and do things by agreement with my spouse. We can do those as well, but they're not technically considered a collaborative divorce. That is a term of art that's specifically um, a method specified under the Texas Family Code.
1: See, that's interesting because that right there was a misunderstanding for most people, and you just clarified that there is a difference, right? There is. It doesn't mean uh, an amicable divorce is different from a collaborative divorce, and there are some things that people need to be aware of. So thank you for clarifying that. Sure. All right. So now I'd like to find out, what do you find are the most common misunderstandings, since we're speaking about misunderstandings and misconceptions, what are some of the most common misunderstandings that that each party has when it comes to, to fairness?
3: So in family law, we refer to fairness as the F word. <laughs> <laughs> There <laughs> really is, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, I think some of the most common myths, if you will, that that people come to me with is things like, well, this is a community property state. Everything should be divided 50-50. Um, I'm entitled to live at a certain standard of living, so my spouse needs to pay me spousal support. To the flip side of, there's no such thing as alimony in Texas. Mm. That is a new, relatively new concept for us here in Texas. Okay. Okay. Um, my wife or husband had an affair, therefore I should get sole custody of my kids. Those mm-hmm. are two very distinct issues. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily follow from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the mom, so therefore I should have primary custody. So those are those are things that pe- preconceived notions that people walk into our mm-hmm. office with frequently. And then our job is to educate them on how close to reality that actually is and how much those factors actually impact their case, particularly should they decide to let a judge make the decisions for their family.
1: I think those preconceived notions is, uh, is where people find themselves struggling with what they hear is the actual truth of the matter because they walk in with those ideas of what they think is, and oftentimes it isn't, right?
3: That's correct, and I, I think one of the things we're, I'm seeing more and more is, you know, we have a lot of people relocating to this area from other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And so somebody here may have a friend or cousin or somebody who got divorced in another state whose laws are very different. They come in thinking, well, my cousin Stacy got this, so Mm -hmm. I should get it. And then we have to educate them that Texas laws are very different than many other states, particularly in terms of spousal support, child support, how long that's paid and so forth and how it's calculated. So so we have to do. I feel very strongly about making sure that I'm giving clients or potential clients a realistic assessment of their situation so that they can make the best decision on how and whether to move forward with a divorce in particular.
1: You know, one of the things that you said that's dead on is the fact that people who are moving to this area, DFW, in droves from different parts of the country. Me, I moved here from New York and the laws in New York are very different, for family law than they are here in Texas. Um, and if I would have brought my preconceived notions from Texas either, from New York to Texas, I would have been in shock, right? Um, so it's important to realize that you live here now and, and uh, the laws are going to be different. That's why information and, and, and guidance from someone like yourself is so critical. But at times, you know, mediation can get nasty. <laughs> I mean, mediation can become hostile and toxic. What advice would you give parties so that mediation remains calm and civil?
3: Well, one of the first things is to make sure in family law cases that the parties understand that they are not going to be sitting in the room, at least in Texas, mm-hmm. they're not going to be sitting in the room with their soon-to-be ex-spouse. We we do caucus-style mediation where each side is in a different room. So that, by definition, can reduce the mm-hmm. tension. But other than that, I, I strongly encourage clients, I mean, you have to be prepared, and, and that's mentally as well as with your, your information get a good night's sleep the night before mm. mediation can frequently be a 10 or 12 hour day. Wow. It can be grueling. If you have a therapist, have a session with your therapist before the mediation session and have one scheduled shortly after the session. Um, ask your attorney, the, the questions that you have going in to make sure you know what to expect. I tell clients, bring a jacket. It's almost always cold. Bring your laptop because there's going to be downtime or a book to read or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just so that they, whatever is their stress reliever, they need to, they have access to that during mediation to help bring some of that tension down.
1: You know, those little intangibles make a big difference. They do. They make a huge difference. So let's talk about your career now, uh, spanning two decades in family law. What's been the hardest case that you have worked on and and how did you handle it?
3: So, I think the the case that sticks out in my mind the most was a case where my client was actually killed by her husband. Oh, um, We wow. had a protective order in place. She wanted to move to Florida. He said, if you let me come see the kids, I'll let you move to Florida. She let her guard down. Mm. He came and picked up the kids, took them back to his place, came back and killed her. Oh, wow. He then proceeded to set the house on fire mm. and ended up killing himself in the fire. So mm. now we have a case with orphans, right? Mm-hmm. And my my takeaway that it was a it was a brutal to, to get that call to find out that's what was going on when I had a hearing and that's why my client didn't show up because mm-hmm. she she wasn't able to. And I you know, I still to this day will tell clients who come in talking about a protective order, you have to remember it is just a piece of paper. It mm-hmm. will not stop a bullet. You can't let your guard down. And mm-hmm. I, I think Sometimes people get into get lulled into this false sense of safety when they you know get the judicial process pieces in place. But but at the end of the day, if somebody is that abusive, that piece of paper doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just it, it still haunts me to this day. And that was probably twenty years ago. Wow. I mean, it was, but it was a very difficult situation, and and I still think about it a lot.
1: Wow, I've I've never heard of a case like that, that's pretty, that's pretty gruesome and how difficult it is not only for, for you, but those, the kids as well. Right. And the kids were little, Yeah.
3: then they became orphaned Mm. and it was, it was just a no win. And it, it, you know, with the pandemic and and the concern about mental health issues these days, um, I'm very sensitive to making sure people are are getting the mental health that they, mental health help that they need because, There's a lot of stress in divorce, even if you're totally healthy. Correct. (laughs) But if you're not, you really need that added help.
1: Correct. It's funny. I was just thinking about the same thing. Uh, You know, the result of the increased stress levels of a pandemic, it only makes these situations even more volatile. Right. Let's pivot a little bit to talk about the importance of financial education and financial awareness for women. You and I had a conversation about that not too long ago, and you had mentioned earlier you've got two young daughters. I know you're very staunch on making sure they understand finances. Why is it so important for young women, whether they're married now or they're they're single, to pay more attention to their finances, to play more of an active role in understanding personal finance?
3: Well, I would start by saying, and this is somewhat cliche, but knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. Knowing your financial situation gives you so much more control over where you're going to end up and, and helps you make those financial decisions. And so and I frequently have women who come in who don't know what their mortgage payment is, don't know what their mm-hmm. retirement savings are. And a lot of it's because as younger girls, they were made afraid of dealing with the numbers. And so I think it's critical that young women these days Pay attention in those math classes. Ask the questions that you need to ask. Talk to your parents about finances. Don't let money be a taboo that prevents you from having the knowledge you need to, if you ever find yourself having to make those tough decisions, you have the information to make those.
1: And I, I've been in financial services. I've uh, I've got a financial services company. I've had it since 1991. That's one of the things that I've been doing, which I enjoy. And I got to tell you something that I have met many a times, women that have been uh, through divorce. It's emotionally challenging as it is when you go through a divorce, but then it becomes a financial burden to an extent when they don't know enough about money to feel confident and comfortable as to what their next move is going to be. Um, And and oftentimes it just makes matters worse uh, having a a divorce uh, proceeding and changing your life. Now your financial situation, the burden is on you and it just increases more stress for them. So I agree. Uh, Women need to understand more how money works because you never know.
3: Well, the other thing I would just add to that is a lot of women stay in bad and abusive and unhealthy relationships because of the fear of the the finances on Mm. the other side. Mm. And so the more control they can have over their financial destiny, the more they can make healthy decisions for themselves and their children going forward.
1: That's brilliant. That's a mic drop right there, Lisa. That's a mic drop. That's good. That's why you're the host of the Family Law Minute. And our last minute here, what advice would you give someone that is considering hiring a family attorney?
3: First and foremost, find someone that you're comfortable with. We, have, we as family attorneys need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're mm-hmm. going to have to share a lot of intimate details with your attorney, so make sure you're comfortable doing that. Secondly, make sure it's someone that you feel like you can communicate with comfortably, that they can speak to you and explain things to you in a manner that you understand without you feeling like you're being talked down to or, or they're being critical of you. Um, because if you can't have that level of communication, then then that's going to be a problem. And, and make sure you're hiring an attorney that's going to be responsive to you, but also one that's going to be realistic with you. I mean, sometimes we have to give bad news. Mm -hmm. No, you can't get 90% of the estate because your husband had an affair. But I I firmly believe that that helps keep more people out of the courtroom if we as lawyers are realistic up front. So you may not like everything the lawyer says to Mm -hmm. you when you first have that meeting, but but you need to kind of do a little self-evaluation and 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 ask yourself if you're realist, if your expectations are realistic or if you maybe need to reassess.
1: Lisa, it's been an absolute joy having you in the station today. Where can people find you to learn more about you and your services and the Family Law Minute?
3: So they can give me a call. My direct dial number is two one four. Eight eight zero one eight three five. 1835 I do actually answer my own phone, believe it or not. <laughs> or they can send me an email to marquis. that's L-M-A-R-Q-U-I-S at Q-S-L-W-M dot com.
1: Excellent. Folks, we are wrapping up yet another week of a fantastic program here. Today was just absolutely stellar as we talked about how do you reassess for success. Make sure you come back next Sunday. Make this a thriving week. Once again, folks, we'll see you next Sunday on the Jay Mamie Talk Show.